Well, good evening, and welcome again to Grace Harvest Baptist Church. What a joy it is to be with you again on uh, this Good Friday. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you've ever wondered um, why we call this Good Friday. And uh, I know some of you are going to think that uh, it is in reference to, and you would not be wrong, by saying that today is the day that the Lord suffered, died, and was buried. And it's good because of what happens on Sunday. But I want to share something with you that you may not know. The term good is, a, is applied to Good Friday is an old English expression meaning holy. This is Holy Friday. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Would you turn with me in your Bibles and with the, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, and I'll be reading from verse 11. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? Matthew, chapter 27, verse 11. Last night, we, we opened up the book and we talked about God's sons last night here on the earth tonight we're going to talk about his last words now jesus stood before the governor and the governor questioned him saying are you the king of the jews and jesus said to him you yourself say it and while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders he did not answer and then pilate said to him do you not hear how many things they testify against you and he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And at that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And so when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had delivered him over. And now, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered a great, greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil did he do? But they were crying out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And now when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But have, after having Jesus scourged, he delivered over to be crucified. And then when the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, they gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him. And they took a reed and began to beat him on the head. When they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, the man found, they found a man from Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed in the service to bear his cross. 
And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he did not want to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were blaspheming him, shaking their heads and saying, Who, excuse me, you who are going to destroy the sanctuary and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. And now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them were saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was God's Son. Father, your people have gathered and we have heard your word proclaim again the, the suffering, the insults, the mockery, the beating, the crucifixion, the death of our Savior, your Son. Lord, I pray tonight as, as we have gathered together as your people that we who are Christians, Father, would look on this with bitter sweetness, Father. The sweetness comes from knowing that Sunday we will celebrate the resurrection as we do each and every day. But tonight, Father, we're reminded again of what it cost you to save us. And I pray, Father, tonight that we reflect on that. And for the one who is gathered in here, Lord, who does not know you, does not know your Son as Lord and Savior, I pray this is the day you turn a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And I ask this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. One of my favorite parts of a sermon is when I get to read big chunks of Scripture out loud. As I said a couple of weeks ago, the most perfect part of my sermon or any pastor's sermon is when we read the Word of God out loud. But tonight I want to share with you the last words of our Savior. And we think about the last words of individuals. Let me share some last words of some non-believers. Thomas Paine, the leading writer, atheistic writer in the American colonies, he wrote this, Stay with me, for God's sake, I cannot bear to be left alone on his deathbed, he said. 
Oh Lord, help me. Oh God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them that the age of reason had never been published. Oh Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave. Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me, for I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. Thomas Paine. We know him as the Patriot. He died not knowing Christ as Savior. Voltaire, the famous anti-Christian. I have swallowed nothing but smoke, he writes. I have intoxicated myself with the incense that turned my head. I am abandoned by God and man. He said this to his physician. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months of life. And when he was told this was not possible, he said, Then I shall die and go to hell. His nurse said, For all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die all night long, he cried for forgiveness. But he didn't know Christ. Judas Iscariot, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. He then went out and hanged himself. You see, all these men are crying out to God, but they lack the one thing that brings salvation. It's repentance. It's acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not just, not just the, the fear of death. Dear one, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've just said some passing prayer and think that will satisfy, it will not. As I shared last night, how does your life... Jesus warned us and, and gave His disciples teachings even on His last night about what it meant to be a follower of His and what would happen. But now I want to share you with what Christians have had to say on their deathbeds, Charles Hayden Spurgeon, beloved preacher and author, on his deathbed he said this, quote, I can hear them coming. He sat straight up in bed and asked, Don't you hear them? This is my coronation day. I see the chariots. I'm ready to board, unquote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor, theologian, standing in front of a firing squad during World War II, just months before the war is over. He's there, getting ready to be executed for his speaking out against Nazism. Quote, this may seem to be the end for me, but it is just the beginning. Stephen died a martyr's death of stoning with these words, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. As important as these men's words are to us to encourage us and a warning to us of those who do not believe, tonight I want to share with you the last seven statements made by Jesus on the cross. The first one, Father, forgive them, we find in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Those words are recorded by Luke as he cried out to his Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Don't lay this charge of killing your son against them. The Roman legionnaires were gambling for his clothes. John chapter 19 tells us, verse 23 and 24, and Jesus looks down at them from the cross. The criminals on the cross to either side of him were insulting him. The religious leaders were mocking him, and the crowd was blaspheming him. He's surrounded by all of these enemies, and yet Jesus prays for them. 
And again, an example to us tonight. To pray for those who hate us. To love those who hate us and despise us. For the sake of the Gospel, what would you not do, beloved? When we built this building here in this subdivision back in 2009, I remember we had opposition to build it in this neighborhood. And the greatest voice of opposition came from a man who said he was a Christian. It was a deacon in his church. And that man called up the county and asked them not to allow us to build the church. The county said we can't do that. Under state law, they're allowed to build the church in a subdivision without any other approval at all. You can build a fire station, a, a, a library, and a school, and a church without having to get it rezoned. And so that didn't work, so then he went to Swift Creek Baptist Church, who was sponsoring us, and talked with them and said, uh, please don't allow this church to build in our neighborhood. And they respectfully referred him to us. And so we met with this gentleman and uh, the elders at the time, and uh, I remember Jesse speaking to this man, and and the only thing I had to say to him when he kept saying, don't build this in my neighborhood. And I said, but sir, what happens if just one person comes to saving faith because this building is here? And his response was, after he thought a minute, not in my neighborhood. Here's God on a cross and people are mocking him. And he's saying, God, forgive them. We as Christians don't want a church built in our neighborhood because it may knock down our property value. We as Christians will, will gripe and complain and, and not love other people because of their political stances or may, what they may write on Facebook. And we show our love for them by just saying some hateful things on social media. And yet God is our example and our witness here. Father, forgive them. It's a prayer of unmatched mercy and love. Even in his agony, Jesus' concern was, was for the forgiveness of those who counted themselves among his enemies. They mocked him. We, we read it tonight. They're sitting there, hey, Jesus, if you're the Christ, come down from there. You claim to be the Son of God. And by the way, mark this in your Bibles. How many times have you heard people say that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God? His enemies said he said it. He asked the Father to forgive the Roman legionnaires who had mocked him, spit on him, beat him, yanked out his beard, whipped him, put a crown of thorns on his head, and nailed him to the cross. Some of you laughed when I was putting up this crown this evening. I got, we forgot to put it up yesterday. And, and I don't know how many times when I've taken that thing down and put it up, I've cut my hand and, and let it fall because it's cut my hand. Can you imagine that being shoved down on your head? And that's what they did to our Savior. And yet, He asked His Father to forgive them. And we need to understand this though. When He said, Father, forgive them, it does not mean that He forgave them for the sins that were send them to hell. It was for this charge. This charge that they would not be held accountable. That they would not suffer for killing the Son of the living God. Not like Judas Remember what Jesus said to Judas? It's better if you'd never been born. 
Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them because he was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 53:12. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for who? The transgressors. The transgressors. From the cross, Jesus interceded for sinners. And today, risen and glorified, Jesus remains the one mediator between God and mankind. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that. Christian, the reason that we have hope when the world doesn't have hope, the reason Tom Paine was there in his misery, Voltaire was in his misery, why Judas cried out on his death, because they have no hope. And because our Lord is a risen Savior. He is our mediator. Do you realize that the righteous one, the one who took away the sins of the world, stands between you and the justice of a holy God? Think about that. What would you say to God right now if you had to stand before Him and stand in judgment for your sins just this week? What would you say to a holy God that would say, uh, Father, I, I, I deserve on my deathbed to be with you because I did this this week. And God would remind you, but you sinned here and you sinned there and you sinned there. Are you still trying to add up your stuff, Mark? Aren't you thankful that we don't have to worry about that? That God, when He saved you and He clothed you with righteousness and that sin that was, that was just like you falling into a cesspool, that you've come out as white as the driven snow, and that God has said, you are righteous, Mark. Not because of yourself, but because of my Son and what He did on that cross. And so when God sees me, He sees the righteousness of His Son. It's just like that night in Egypt. When God's people put the blood of the Lamb on their doorpost and their lentils, and they put it up there, and what happened? The angel of death went by. He didn't see who was in the house. He saw the blood of the Lamb. When God looks at us when we die, He's not looking to see who we are. He sees who we are in Christ. And thankfully that all of us who have professed that are with Christ. Can you say tonight, as Charles Spurgeon said, or any other believer that you've been around on the, as they get close to death, or would you be more like today, young person or young adult or older person tonight that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that if you were to die this very hour, you don't know what would happen? Well, I'm here to tell you, if you don't know the answer to that, you're going to spend eternity in hell. That's why Jesus came. That's why He suffered on this cross. Look what He said next. And this is recorded, his second saying is recorded in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. So he prays for the, those who persecuted him. Now, he says to the thief on the cross. Remember that story? Rachel, uh, when, when her father was in the hospital, I believe he was in hospice at the time, Rachel. And I went and visited him. Something that Rachel... Repeated me, oh, he's repeated this over and over again. She said, I'm so thankful that you came and told my daddy the story, Thief on the Cross. God used that to lead him to saving faith. You see, the thief on the cross, just like her daddy and many others, had lived a life for themselves and not for God at all. 
And yet, that thief who mocked Christ with the other thief, God opened his eyes. Removed the scales from his eyes. He was a sinner. He wasn't looking to be saved. He was mocking God and telling, get off the cross and help us. How? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. God took a heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. He removed the scales from his eyes because before the foundation of the world, that man was a lost sheep who God brought to saving faith before he died. And he cries out to Jesus. He did the two things required for salvation, folks. You know what they are? It's not coming to church on Thursday and Friday night of Holy Week. It's not making sure you're here in Sunday school or that you give faithfully. You know what's required? Two things. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. You see, this person says to the other thief, I and you deserve what we're getting. What does it mean when you say you deserve something? It means you acknowledge it's your sin and nobody else's. He acknowledged that he needed forgiveness for that. And he looks at Jesus and he says today, looks at that center cross with Jesus with a crown on his head, hung naked on that tree because that's the way the Romans crucified their victims. And he's there and he looks at him and he says, would you remember me when you get to the Father's house? And Jesus utters the sweetest words that have ever been uttered in Scripture. Today you will be with me in paradise. I've shared this before, and, 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 and people looked at me weird. Even back in the 80s, I was a weirdo. But back in the 80s, I remember being in Sunday school class. And I wasn't teaching yet. We, I was a fairly new believer, and we were at Swift Creek, and we were meeting, and, it was, and, and, and they asked. It was one of the games that you played on a, uh, uh, night, a social night to get together. And they, everybody was asked, what, what biblical character would you want to be? And, you know, they're all naming all these people in scripture and first thing out of my mouth was I want to I would I would if it was anybody in scripture I'd want to be that thief on the cross hey people look at you weird when you say that because you're thinking what are you some kind of masochist the way you want to no 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 you don't understand he had the privilege he was a Christian who died with his savior think about that he died with the holy one he suffered and he died right next to the Savior. Not the same way Jesus died and suffered because he took the sins of the world upon himself. That man suffered physically, but his soul was released. Imagine the peace that he had as he hung on that cross. And the other man spending eternity in hell. And this man, you will meet one day, brother and sister in Christ. And you will stand and you will worship with him. As we worship the Savior together. You know, when you think of the prodigal son in Christ's parable, the man came to his senses and admitted he was a sinner. It's the perfect illustration of what true conversion looks like. He understood that he had nothing to offer God, nothing to say he was worthy to with, with God. For the sake of time, write this down. Luke chapter 23. Go back and read it sometime, 39 through 42. As this man, he's got to the lowest point. He, he took his father's money and he left and he used it on women and gambling and drinking and did all those things. And what did he do in that story? What did Je how did Jesus represent this man's salvation? He acknowledged his own sin. 
And he says, I can go back to the Father and I will be His slave. He, know he, he knew He needed mercy and grace to escape judgment and to be forgiving because He was an unworthy sinner, just as every one of us is. You know what? You know what is a precursor for us coming to Christ? And I, and I don't mean that, you, that it's, it's a qualification for salvation. I'm saying it's a result of how we get there, and that's our humility. It's your humility. Because in order to go to Christ and acknowledge your sin, what do you have to acknowledge? That you're not worthy. There's not one of us is worthy. The Bible tells us God resists the prideful, does He not? He resists the prideful. That's what gets in the way. How many times have you been in trouble, Christian, because of your pride? Your selfish pride. You have to get the last word in. You have to get even. And yet God, in His mercy and grace, He calls us. We lay aside in humility our self-worth and we say we are worth nothing except for you. We are like Paul describing to the Corinthian church. I am nothing but the lowest slave on the third tier, down at the bottom of a Roman war galley, and I am down there to row the boat for my master. Paul says that I am that kind of slave for God. You see, Christian, there's nothing that you can give up for God that you will not, will not, excuse me, let me say it this way, you will never regret things that you give up for God. But I tell you, there's a lot of things that we will regret doing that we didn't do for God. I can't remember one thing I did that was sinful that I ever look back on and say, man, I'm sure glad I did that. So we see the first two. Then we see statement number three. Woman, behold your son. That's found in the Gospel of John in verse 19. John 19, verse 26 and 27, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You saw this unnamed disciple that Jesus loved is John himself. And despite his excruciating physical agony, Jesus was concerned for his mother. The mother who had given him birth. The mother who held him against her breast and fed him. The mother who comforted him. She was there. Ladies, I'm always amazed at a woman's love for her children. My children, when they were sick, never cried out for daddy. Crystal said, I mean, Kathy used to say all the time, you get all the fun with them. They want you to go play ball with them. They want you to go play kickball with them. They want to wrestle with you. They want to do this with you. They want to do that with you. And and the only thing they want to do with me is puke on me. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, babe. But I tell you what, her sons and her daughter love their mother like they don't love me. Oh, they love me. But it's different, the love that children have for their mother. And here's Jesus. Remember, fully God and fully man. And He's naked on that tree. And His mother's looking up at Him. 
a child she held in her arms. Beat beyond recognition. Him suffering physically on that cross. And he's concerned about her. And John, he takes care of Jesus' mother. You see, it was the custom in that day that the son would take care of the mother. But none of his brothers, his half-brothers at the time, were Christians. So he left her in the care of John. I am that... Every time I contemplate Jesus on the cross... That reminds me so much of His humanity. So much of His humanity. And with these words, Woman, behold your son, Jesus invited His mother to look to John. I'm not going to be here. But He will. And He will take care of your physical needs. Until I get to see you again. I could, I could think of Him saying that to her. But you notice John was the only apostle brave enough to stand with his with the women. Every, everyone else scattered. John stayed. John was there. Everybody else left. It was John and the women. Oh, the women in Scripture are so strong. And I'm so thankful that God has given me a strong spiritual woman in my life that loves him more than she loves me. I don't know how many times, men, I can tell you this, the comfort, the knowledge that I have that I know my wife loves Jesus. She is my number one counsel. She is the one that when, when she knows me better than I know myself, and she knows and loves me and cares for me, and I'm so thankful that God has given us so many godly women in this church. Oh, I look around this room tonight and I see that, that men, we are so blessed. You have women that love Jesus and love you. And they serve Christ, they serve you, and they serve this body. I thank God for the women that He has given me in my life, my, my daughter, my daughter-in-laws, my wife. But I thank God also for my sisters in Christ that He gives me the privilege to shepherd Fourth, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here we see Jesus crying out in anguish because of the separation he now experienced from the Heavenly Father. For the first time and only time since the beginning of time, Eternity past, eternity present, eternity future, that God the Father turned His back on God the Son. Jesus always said, the Father and I are one. The reason that Christ had to be 100% man is so that God could put out all of the anger and wrath He had against sin upon His Son. You know this is the only time in Scripture... The only time in Scripture that Jesus didn't refer to God as His Father. The only time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
the son had taken sin upon himself. In some way, in some means, in the secrets of divine sovereignty, Jesus, fully God and fully man, was separated from God the Father for a brief time on that wooden cross. As the wrath of the Father was poured out on this sinless Son who became sin for those who believe in Him. For you and I. The Father forsook the Son because the Son took upon Himself our transgressions, our iniquities, Isaiah 53, 5. Jesus was delivered up because of our transgressions, Romans 4, 25. You see that resounding theme going through Scripture? It's our transgressions. It's our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Died for our sins. How and why? According to Scripture. According to Scripture. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf and became a curse for us, Galatians 3.13. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, 1 Peter 2.24. Died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. The just, which is Jesus Christ, born without sin. For the unjust, you and I, who were born from our mother's womb in sin. The propitiation for our sins, John writes in 1 John 4.10. Jesus Christ not only bore man's sin, but actually became sin on man's behalf in order that those who believe in Him might be saved from the penalty of their sin. Fifth, I thirst. I thirst. When Jesus said, I thirst from the cross, He was alluding to a prophecy in Psalms 22.15. My mouth is dried up and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Psalm 22.15. You see, in response to Jesus' request, we saw for something... He, they, they offered him something to drink. The soldiers offered him wine vinegar in John chapter 19, verse 29. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, but the sponge put the sponge on a stalk, and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. Wine vinegar was the cheapest and easiest wine for soldiers to acquire, and they would have had some right there as they gambled for his clothes. Earlier, Jesus refused the drink of vinegar and myrrh offered to him to relieve his suffering. Now, don't think that the Roman legionaries were being merciful. They did it so they would subdue the prisoner so he wouldn't struggle as much. And after that, the soldiers mockingly offered him the wine vinegar but did not allow him to drink. But here, several hours later, Jesus states, I'm thirsty and this time the soldiers give him some, and the action was fulfillment again of Psalm 69:21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Again in Scripture. And then we get to the last two. It is finished. It is finished, he says. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's finished. All those years that Jesus lived on this earth. The three years He walked with the disciples. 
You remember that journey we took together as a church? Two and a half, three years, we walked through the book of Matthew. We were introduced to the disciples. We were introduced to, to John the Baptist. We heard that greatest sermon ever preached on the Sermon on the Mount. We walked through Scripture as we saw Jesus heal the lame, give sight to the blind, raise the dead. We took that journey with Him. We saw Him preach. We saw Him cast out demons. We saw Him control the elements. We watched Him go through that ministry as we went verse by verse verse through the Gospel of Matthew. And now we come to the conclusion of that life. It is finished. Jesus did everything the Father required of Him. Everything. Hanging on that cross, Jesus suffered bitter agony and darkness while covered in our guilt, sin, and shame. And when the act of purchasing our redemption was complete, nothing more was needed. It was done. Everything Jesus had come to do on the earth was now finished. The Scriptures were fulfilled and Christ's work was done. The battle was over. The victory was won. All that God had purposed and all the prophets had foretold now was complete. And Jesus surrendered Himself to death. From the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, we learn that Jesus, as Jesus died, He cried out with a loud voice. Luke reports Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. And when He had said this, He breathed His last. Luke 23, 46. Jesus said, I thirst from the cross because He wanted His lips and throats moistened one last time so He could cry out that victorious shout before He died. It is finished. The Bible says that He shouted it out. It wasn't, he's fin it is finished. He cried out with a loud voice. Our ransom was paid. We were bound with the chains of our sin. We were slaves to sin. And Christ and God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit would have been perfectly justified to never, ever send Jesus to suffer and die for our behalf. He could have left us. He could have let man go on and die and go to hell. And yet in His mercy, He did not do that. In His mercy, He did not do that. This coming Sunday... We will gather again, and I pray that all of you are here. And I will be preaching on a sermon that I've called the Sunday Walk. We're talking about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And we'll get to see the reaction of these two men as they worship a risen Savior. Christian, it's Friday, we know that. We have gathered last night and celebrated the Lord's Supper together. We have gathered tonight and we have walked through the pain and the suffering of the cross. We have seen our Savior and Messiah die but we know that he, we serve a risen Lord. And so we, 
who know Christ as Lord and Savior, again, I give you that challenge. How many of you have invited somebody to come this week? To come into our, our church on Sunday? People that, that may never ever step foot into a church except on Easter Sunday. How about those who claim to be Christians and you haven't seen in a church in a long, long time? And just tell them to come because you know what they're going to hear here on Sundays the gospel, right? So what I would, I would encourage you to do that. Again, my brothers and sisters, I thank you so much for giving of your time last night to be here and tonight to be here. And I pray that this has been an encouragement to each one of you. And again, I say to you, before I close in prayer, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I started out telling you, those are famous men that I talked to you that the world looked up to. But on their deathbeds, they had no hope. You will not live forever, dear one, no matter what age you are. And I pray tonight that you cry out to Christ, just as the thief on the cross did, and come to saving faith. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, it... it this is a story that everyone in here knows by heart. We who are yours. Because, Father, it's because of this that we are your children. And as many times as I hear it, Father, as many times as I share it, as many times as I teach it, as many times as I preach on it, Father, I will never get tired of preaching the gospel. I love what Paul said to the church in Rome. He's talking to believers, Father. And he says, I can't wait to get to you to, to share the gospel with you. Oh, I pray, Father, that we never lose sight of the sacrifice of your son. I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord. I pray, Father, as we reflect on what you have done for us. Lord, that we would have a servant's heart and a desire to serve you. Set our pride aside, Father. And help us to live for you. And Father, I pray for the seeds that were sown tonight, Lord. You're responsible for the soil. I pray, Father, that the seeds of your gospel would sprout the fruit of repentance. And I ask this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor Brian.